Hi, and welcome to Utopia Road. My name is Pete Smith. I'm the host of this podcast of stories and interviews. Today I'm going to offer you something called a scratch and a glass of water and other stories. If you like what you hear, you can drop us a note at utopiaroadpictures at gmail.com or you can leave us a message right at the podcast. Yes, it's possible. Hope you're doing okay in this unique, turbulent time, and I appreciate you listening in. Keep spreading the word about the podcast if you like it, and get in touch if you want to. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. A scratch and a glass of water and other stories. A scratch. I watched two 30-second videos recently. I watched them on a phone a long way from where the videos were shot. They were taken on a trail cam, a trail cam that sat out in the day and night, the cold sun and thaw, capturing whatever critters went by. Beings that included bobcats, mink, moose, deer, wolverines, coyotes, wolves, every sort of bird and bears. The trail where the action took place is located in a forested coulee in a fairly isolated part of northeast Alberta, Canada. The first video was taken in the spring and has a black bear in it. He's rolling around on a sheet of snow, jagged with ice, and he looks to be enjoying himself. It's the double whammy of cooling off and using the ice nubbles to get at his thick coat and the flakes of dry skin beneath. It has got to be friction perfection, and it's on full display. The next video has the same bear, clearly not done with his need to scratch up on his hind legs and scratching his back on the trunk of a tree. His neck is extended, his head tilted up. He's really working the rough bark from his rump to his back to his forelegs. He was inside the full life of a proper deep and profound scratch. A thing that lives in complete time. In the time of nothing else is going on. But this scratch. The word scratch is from unknown origin in the specific, but it appears first in the 1400s and is probably a fusion of two Middle English words, scratten and cratchen. They both mean to scratch. In 1850, scratch meant to pull a horse from a race. In 1909, a scratch in billiards was to hit the cue ball into a pocket, like today. And expressions like barely scratched the surface, first came into the lexicon in 1882, and that's a real head-scratcher in 1712. Scratch means nothing to some people, and the term old scratch, starting in around 1740, meant the devil or a goblin. But for the bear and the coolie, a scratch was as close to heaven as he could get. Now, I have known the power of a good scratch myself. I have scratched against a doorframe, enjoyed a back scratch given by a loved one, used a loofah in the shower, yes. And when I saw the videos of the black bear and the coolie, it reminded me of my own glorious scratching experience. How a good scratch is such a beautiful thing. A glass of water is another beautiful thing, and it's not to be taken for granted. Now, I'll fill a glass of water, and I'll set it on the counter and stare at it, appreciating it, thankful for it, the perfection of it, the clarity, the the droplets running down the side of the glass, the small puddle forming at the base, Mm. bringing it to my lips and feeling it there before tipping the glass and 
reveling in the sensation of the splash over my tongue, the cleansing of my mouth, and removing the dry of my throat. A glass of water is truly one of the consistently great joys of my life. In a book called Sandance, written by a fellow named Bruce Kirby, it tells the story of a journey that went on in 1999 across the Empty Quarter in Arabia. The Empty Quarter is also known as the Al-Rub Al-Khali. The Empty Quarter is the world's largest sand desert, nearly a million square kilometers of sand, an area larger than France. It contains more sand than any other place on the planet. It can go above 50 degrees Celsius, and the sand can reach 80 degrees Celsius. You could not get any further from the glass of water I've just described than in the Al-Rub Al-Khali. But Mr. Kirby sat out on a camel's back with two other guys and their Bedouin guides in 1999. In a Globe article by a fellow named Paul William Roberts, June 17, 2000, entitled Only a Fool and His Camel, he wrote about the expedition, and in the article said this, A key principle of both Zen Buddhism and Jewish Kabbalah states that in order to be filled, the vessel must first be empty. A mind incessantly stimulated by sensory perceptions is hard to empty, hence the attraction of deserts. They are the symbol of an uncluttered mind as well as an aid to uncluttering it. You do not retreat alone into a desert wilderness to escape reality. No, you go there to face it. The expedition, needless to say, was full of adventure and incidents, such as a hundred-foot descent down a narrow snake-infested well, a three-day sandstorm, the sting of a desert scorpion, and the challenge of living with inescapable heat and nagging dehydration. Kirby and company made the trek, and to the surprise of many, I think including themselves, they didn't die in the effort. Following the Odyssey, Kirby talks about his renewed and powerful appreciation for water. How he could stare at a glass of water and think nothing of the time it was taking. How it arrives at his restaurant table filled with chips of ice. The water droplets, as I've described, running haphazardly down the sides, totally captivates him. For some, the glass of water is merely a precursor to a proper drink of wine or booze something that can sit without even being touched and then be dumped into a sink after the guests have left. But not for Mr. Kirby, no. For him, it represents one of the most precious, beautiful, full-stop experiences of being alive. Since his journey across a million square kilometers of sand, his appreciation for water has only grown. He is humbled by it. Never again will take it for granted that it isn't something to be gotten through, a means to an end. No, the glass of water is one of the greatest gifts of Mother Earth, and it should be cherished and protected. Like the scratch, the glass of water is a simple joy and something that I appreciate every single day. For the time being, appreciation and humility and thankfulness leads me to the incomparable Annie Dillard, and a collection she put together in a book called For the Time Being. It was published in 1999, the same year that Mr. Kirby and co. went across the empty quarter. Annie Dillard has always offered me a unique perspective on our place in the place, and these two thoughts fit right down Main Street of all that. There were no formerly heroic times, Miss Dillard writes, and there was no formerly pure generation. 
There is no one here but us chickens, and so it has always been. A people busy and powerful, knowledgeable, ambivalent, important, fearful, and self-aware. A people who scheme, promote, deceive, and conquer, who pray for their loved ones, and long to flee misery and skip death. It is a weakening and discoloring idea, she says, that rustic people knew God personally once upon a time, or even knew selflessness or courage or literature. But clearly it is too late for us. In fact, the absolute is available to everyone in every age. There never was a more holy age than ours, and never a less one. Ours is a planet sown in beings, she wrote. Our generations overlap like shingles. We don't fall in rows like hay, but we fall. Once we get here, we spend forever on the globe, most of it tucked under. While we breathe, we open time like a path in the grass. We open time as a boat's stem slits the crest of the present. Yeah, Annie Dillard for mayor. It's time to get humble, folks, if you're not already there. And now I'd like to virtually introduce you to a fellow named Leroy Little Bear. He talks about another way of living, about gaining another perspective on place, our relationship to it, and our place in it. This article comes from 2008 and is written by Don Hill in the Wunderbar Alberta Views magazine. Listening to Stones There is an unspoken language that makes it possible to bridge every world view, Mr. Little Bear writes, a language that can be learned through dialogue. The willingness to set aside preconceived ideas and listen not only with your mind, but also with your heart. And if the way forward begins with a commitment to genuine dialogue, it teaches that the exchange of conversation must not only occur between human beings, but also between all of the creatures and plants and spirits that connect us to and with the earth. He talks about the power of listening, learning from the world, because we are really only one part of a much greater, intricate, and delightful whole. Only when the rocks begin to know you, he says, will they tell you their story. This goes back to the notion that a dream is not a one-way thing. It goes both ways. Little Bear is a leader at gatherings of Western-trained scientists and Native American elders. He has facilitated formal sessions to explore these different visions of reality. His friend, the late physicist David Baum, shared a mutual concern that the mindset of empirical science, for all of its accomplishments, remained essentially oblivious to other ways of knowing. This method of investigation, while powerful and extremely useful, nevertheless, according to Baum, is the devil that got us into our present crisis, our use of scientific information without wisdom. And finally, never let a good crisis go to waste. By appreciating, by not taking for granted, by listening to the other voices in the world, understanding we ain't nothing special, it could lead to what Jeff Booth says is a new set of rules where policy response is required and justified. What follows is a short piece of an article in the Globe and Mail from May 2nd, 2020. People are hurting, Jeff Booth says. As before, there are no easy answers because the magnitude of what we are dealing with is far bigger than most realize. The transition away from the old rules will be painful. But beyond that, it's hard to imagine why more abundance and less cost would be such a bad thing for society. It's going to happen anyway in the end. By understanding the key structure change that technology has enabled, governments can step in and provide a transition to a brighter future. 
not doing so is analogous to Kodak trying to retune their film business while competing against digital cameras, or Blockbuster adding candy aisles to their stores to counter Netflix. Massive amounts of money will be wasted and the efforts are doomed to fail regardless. If that happens, more people will be hurt in the end. As goes the quote, variously ascribed to many, never let a crisis go to waste. So let's use this as an opportunity to make the system and the world we live in much better. Participating in our democracy takes time. It takes commitment and energy. We've all spent the same amount of time in isolation, give or take, have all reflected and listened and wondered and dropped into funks. But I do believe that we really do have a chance to change coming out of this, a change that is meaningful, sustainable, inclusive, and participatory. We owe it to ourselves and to all of the other beings here on earth and those yet to come. So I say have a good scratch. Appreciate a glass of water. Listen to the wind and the bear and gird your loins. It'll soon be time to get at her. And I hope we stand shoulder to shoulder in making some positive changes to the way we live. And certainly to the way that we share. <laughs>